the podcast your baby hey guys welcome back to the what the f podcast this is ayana this is suhani and today we're doing our very first mini episode so we do long form episodes on this podcast it's what we've always done but with this new season we're trying to kind of up our game if you will like <laughs> yeah, diversify our content and start to put out kind of these mini episodes where we kind of really laser focus on a certain mm-hmm. topic with less people hopefully it'll be like much much shorter than our regular episodes <laughs> um and yeah we're starting off today with a topic that's very important to women's health um this is a topic that is been weaponized for a very long time, been stigmatized mm-hmm. for a very long time, but I think especially right now, um, the climate of the nation right now is very, it's very, ugh. Um, and <laughs> so we feel like an episode like this is very important. And by the way, this is, maybe we should put a trigger warning that we will be talking a little bit about, well, not a little bit, a lot about, mm-hmm. um, you know, women's health, um, abortion, changes with your body. So if you don't want to hear about that, you know, don't watch this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Suhani, you have a personal anecdote to women's health, mm-hmm. your experience with PCOS. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could start us off with kind of your notes and what you have to say about it. All right. Super cool. So I just got diagnosed with PCOS about one or two months ago, right before heading to school, actually, which was great timing. <laughs> um, and so just to provide like some definition and about it, uh, PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it is the most common hormonal or endocrine disorder in people assigned female at birth. And the prevalence is estimated to be about 6 to even 15% of females. So it is really quite a common disorder in a sense, but obviously not a majority. Um, And so it's kind of diagnosed by having high levels of androgens, which is male hormones, so think things like testosterone, as well as a lot of fluid-filled little sacs in the ovaries and irregular ovulation and periods. And so that's what causes a lot of things like infertility, which is often when it's actually diagnosed, as well as a tendency to be overweight or obese, um, a lot of like hormonal acne, excess facial hair from like the testosterone, and even like serious metabolic issues like diabetes and heart issues. So that's just a little intro on what the disorder actually is, but um, I just wanted to talk about my experience a little because that's all I can really speak about. I'm not a healthcare professional. Um, So having been diagnosed two months ago, they identified that I had it likely because I am in fact overweight, have acne on my face, like big bumps, and a lot of facial hair. And so I wasn't really suspicious about the facial hair at first because mm-hmm. it is known that South Asian women tend to have a lot of facial hair and body hair. And so Tell I just me about thought, it. Yeah. So I just thought that that was like yeah. normal. Mm-hmm. And the acne is teenagers have it all the time. People even into adulthood have it all the time. Um... And so I think it's really interesting. And I also think it's interesting that the three three of the symptoms I have, being overweight, having acne, and having facial hair, all of these things are deemed very clearly unpretty by Western society right. in women, which really fucked with my mentality a little bit, being heard that yeah. I have an actual syndrome causing these things that all these magazines tell me are wrong and should be fixed. And obviously that stems from very, like, Eurocentric 
skinny, the standard for like a Victoria's Secret model with light skin, um, like no facial hair because that's associated like with hourglass skin figure. Colors. Yeah. Um, yeah, like even things like straight hair or like, mm-hmm. or like, like you were saying, like, you know, shaving like all parts of their body, yeah. like fresh, clean, like thinking that like. Um, kind of continuing on what you're saying here on this point, Mm -hmm. the beauty standard, and we've talked about this in previous episodes Mm -hmm. so many times, but the beauty standard, the Eurocentric beauty standard that we know and love, just kidding, (laughs) we don't love it, but the beauty standard that we know today was created by white supremacists Mm -hmm. to directly harm anyone that wasn't a white woman. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, there isn't really much regard for women either, but it was pretty much created to target pretty much any group that wasn't a white man. Mm Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's really assimilated itself into our culture and also our medicine. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all these like things, they should just be kind of symptoms. Yeah. But people label it as ugly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add that because I think that that's also part of the, And we'll get into it later. But I think that's also a huge reason why women's health is stigmatized mm-hmm. is because it makes you, quote, ugly. Mm-hmm. It makes you look not like the way you should quote it makes you imperfect like it takes you off of that like perfect pedestal of like the pageant queen yes uh which is just so strange that women are portrayed that way that it's like a little like glass cage that you're always being observed at and you have to be a little barbie doll and be all perfect like taylor swift in the willow music video you know and she's in the glass box Sorry, but yeah. But it just makes me think of like fifties wife, like all yes. like dolled up all the time. And so I think that's why we don't talk about health for people who are assigned female at birth or women a lot is because it feels wrong to talk about like periods, talking about just having like blood flowing out and just having yes. that imperfection, feeling like um it's wrong to say that you're feeling emotional or like when you're on your period feeling like it's wrong to feel angry. Mm-hmm. Um, because you kind of have to prove that you're just like unemotional and you're not like hormonal all the time. Right. Um, and so there's just so much pressure to appear perfect to this one standard that some white man came up with. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so since being diagnosed, I have started a medication for my PCOS and it's only like my second or third month on it. So I'm still getting used to it, but I have noticed a lot of really sudden weird changes. Not necessarily bad, but it's just weird having your body wake up one day and it not looking exactly like it did the day before. Like Mm -hmm. you just get into a routine, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I've been noticing that my acne has been clearing up a little bit and I've been having slower hair growth. Um, and as well, my jean size has just kind of been fluctuating up and down a little bit. And so in addition to just always being insecure about these things and then being diagnosed with a condition that like proves why I have these things, it's really strange to suddenly be put on a medication and watch all of these things that I thought were so intrinsic to myself changing all of the time. Um, and so there's that one facet of it, but now I just want to talk about 
the accessibility of getting a diagnosis for this and like the issue in like the healthcare side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, I have full respect for healthcare workers. I actually want to work in healthcare myself. Um, and that's why I care so much about women and female health. Like I really want to yeah. improve the lives of half of the population of the world. Yeah, of course. Um, so it's actually a really widespread issue for this particular condition as well as a lot of other conditions where misdiagnosis and a very delayed or like misdiagnosis happens all the time. So in one study published by the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism in 2016, one third or more of women who had this condition needed more than two years and seeing more than three healthcare professionals to get a diagnosis for the condition, which is absurd when you think yeah. about how common the condition is. Like that's, that's 10 to 15%. I, I was I was looking at the episode notes before and I was like really freaked out. Like mm-hmm. that's insane. I guess you don't really think about, you don't really think about these things. And I mean, yeah. I'll tell you a story later, like mm-hmm. later in the episode that kind of relates to that, but you don't really think about how, I don't know how to say it because of course I also have respect for healthcare workers and I'm not saying that and they're malicious or anything mm-hmm. it's just like I think a lot of the times um women are kind of women and um femme presenting people in particular mm-hmm. are turned away and told to not trust their body mm-hmm. because these like symptoms like acne you know being overweight it's very easy to just blame that on the individual yeah. rather than seek um like, to actually run tests and mm-hmm. to, like, actually evaluate someone's symptoms. I've experienced that before, obviously. I mean, I'm assuming mm-hmm. you've experienced that before yeah. in your life. And that statistic really, really demonstrates that sometimes sometimes people don't want to take a second to actually hear, hear the person out. Right. I've experienced that a lot, too. Like, just... Like, I've done a, been in healthcare settings for a while now, and there are some doctors I really admire... Um, but some, some I've seen that as soon as they see, like, a high weight on the scale, their first thought, they'll just start jumping into, um, you need to, like, cut your calories down to this, cut your calories down to that, you need to do this, do that, um, and not really taking a second to listen to, like, the individual's concerns and why might this might be going on, or, like, the individual's issues, but maybe with, like, disordered eating or nutrition or accessibility to food or even, like, an underlying condition like this that might be impacting all of it. And part of that has to do with the fact that in the United States, at least, um, healthcare tends to be really rushed, which isn't on the part of the practitioner, but just on the healthcare system. But um, there definitely needs to be a reform for female health as well as all of health in general. Yes, for sure. <laughs> um, and I mean, that, that what you just said, like relating to your, your experience with PCOS and your experience being diagnosed with that and like mm-hmm. being put on medication, that is just one example of how these biases can extend into every facet of women's health. I think every that little thing of women's health. You know what <laughs> I mean? But, you know, with things like abortion, mm-hmm. people are very quick to make generalizations and make assumptions. And I don't want this to become an abortion episode because then we're going to go over our mini episode timeline. <laughs> but um, I think it's very obvious where we and this organi- organization stand. And basically our point is that women's health is very um, multidimensional mm-hmm. and people see it as one dimensional. No. People, so <laughs> people see it as people see it as like, oh, you're killing a baby. 
not not considering the fact mm-hmm. that there's so many other factors at play that involve the person with a uterus. Right. And it's a huge problem when, you know, when it affects something as, as big as abortion, mm-hmm. where one in four women in the United States get an abortion, and a lot of these women are teenagers, um, black women, homeless mm-hmm. women, people that are, are low income, people that are struggling to put food on the table, people that already have so many kids, people that are minors. Uh, well, I guess I already said that, but, you know, mm-hmm. people that, you know, people that are victims of domestic abuse. There's so many people getting affected and that has so many tolls, not just on physical health, like we've been discussing, but also on mental health. Huge. And when people look at it as one dimensional, it's really hard. That's why it's important for people like us to have conversations about this, because we need to eliminate that stigma. Mm -hmm. We need to emphasize that this is not a one dimensional issue and this is not just um, a women femme presenting uterus owner issue. This is an issue for everyone. Everyone Mm -hmm. should be concerned about the physical and mental well-being of these people in their lives it's an economic issue a social issue a family issue a political issue like it's yes. just um, or i guess i should say it shouldn't be a political issue but it is it is people it's make it put on. people make it political because mm-hmm. they try to stay like i like i said make it one-dimensional standardize it and then they try to say what is strictly right and what is strictly wrong mm-hmm. and then you get into like you're killing a baby like i don't mm-hmm. give a shit about the women like Ugh, it's and again, don't want to make this an abortion episode, but it's a very huge part mm-hmm. of women's health, and obviously we're talking about uteruses. Yeah. Um. So it is a very big part, and that's just again one aspect of how, um, women's health is very stigmatized and politicized, and mm-hmm. um, and again, I think it's really valuable that you're sharing your experience because. Like, everything that you've said just mm-hmm. directly correlates with what we're saying. Um, I like to call it sloganizing, when people <laughs> tend to just take yeah. these very, very complex, diverse issues and just turn it into, like, a one-sentence blanket statement. Like, abortion mm-hmm. itself is such a diverse term for so many different things you could be talking about. Like, having worked as an EMT, I've seen... Um, Well, I haven't seen, but I've learned about, you know, people who may or may not be having a health issue. And so is it called an abortion then? Um, What's the difference between an induced abortion and a natural abortion? And obviously there are differences, but all of these things are not black and white. They all exist on some sort of spectrum. You know, religion exists on a spectrum. Yes. Um, How people feel about it, all of these things. You can't, like, lock down uteruses in this one blanket all statement and neither can you generalize why or when people get or have abortions there you go (laughs) there we go or or i will say abortion is just one aspect i will say to add your statement getting abortions of course but also in general um seeking treatment for female body health issues Mm -hmm. and yeah so i think that's a very that's kind of the more technical side of it but i do also want to cover really quick kind of the Mm -hmm. mental health aspect that we were touching on earlier all of these things play into mental health as well. And, I mean, we already know that mental health is very disregarded, especially in this country. So, I mean, that that's strike one. Mm-hmm. But I think specifically with an emphasis on women's health and, again, people born with female bodies or femme-presenting mm-hmm. people or uterine owners, uterus owners, fatigue is very normalized as a symptom for women because... I mean, we are kind of thrown into this world with traditional roles. And, of course, that that is changing every day. And, you know, mm-hmm. we can try and defy them as much as we can. But at the end of the day, society does expect 
women and femme presenting people to adhere to a certain standard, to follow patriarchal expectations and to, you know, be the stay at home mother, you know, to, you know, it kind of goes to the whole thing of like men are the providers and women take care of the kids. Mm -hmm. Except now it's like, a lot of women are working 40 hours a week or more and also still doing the brunt of the like if there are children in the household the child care or the chores all of that and you can see this in a lot of research that in traditional households mothers do tend to spend a lot more time caring for their children than fathers and so things like that yes um and so I think with women's health, there's just kind of this <clears throat> expectation constantly of having fatigue. And so when women complain of fatigue, it's just kind of seen as, oh, well, why wouldn't you have fatigue? Right. Which makes sense, but it's just kind of pushed under the door and not prioritized. It's not seen as a, okay, let's work on this. What can we do to help you? It's just seen as, oh, you're whatever. You're a woman. Yeah. Also kind of a general, like, how women don't have as much of a, as lot of a voice as, mm-hmm. as men. Or I should say female and femme presenting people don't have mm-hmm. as much of a voice as men. And so even if you take away the women's health aspect, like we've been focusing on, women in general can't complain about their problems because then they're a bitch. Mm-hmm. But a man complains about their problems and they're like, oh, my God, like, you yeah. must be working so hard. Take a Take it easy on yourself. Which not saying that, not saying that male mental health doesn't matter, but just Mm -hmm. saying it's much more stigmatized. And it is stigmatized for everyone, but it's much more stigmatized for women, especially when it pertains to the mental and physical health of the women. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, mental health trickles down to physical health and vice versa. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that when you hear the word hysteria, it's almost always only associated with women and often with, like, darker-skinned women. Oh, yes. Specifically intersectionality. And so when you're talking about mental and physical health, a lot of the times when women are angry or when women are feeling anxious or when women are just upset about their health or, like, trying to figure it out and they are reacting in a normative fashion they're often just kind of told that they're being hysterical they're being too much they're being dramatic um and so again it comes back to like that glass box that like perfect pageant queen Mm -hmm. look of like i can't be struggling with anything i can't be outside of that level of perfection absolutely um and yeah and i mean i I do want to begin wrapping this up. Just <laughs> not because I don't love this conversation. It's a very important conversation to have. And I just want to kind of wrap this whole thing mm-hmm. together, kind of tie it with a bow. There is, obviously, we've been saying the word stigma a lot, but it's true. There is a mm-hmm. huge stigma around um, women's health, the health of femme-presenting people, the health of, the health of uterine o- uterus owners. And in general, it's, it's one of the biggest reasons as to why everyone is very uninformed about Mm -hmm. women's health. You know, people get loaded up with birth control at, like, 13, 14. Mm -hmm. You know, women live with PCOS and don't even realize that they have it because they don't have the resource to get a diagnosis or they keep getting turned away by doctors. Mm -hmm. You know, these things happen all the time, but we don't talk about them enough because we we don't deem them important enough. Right. And it's a huge issue. I don't want to end this on, like, a bad note because... Of course, things are not perfect right now. I don't know if they ever will be, but we are always making progress as a country, as a society, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Um, Knock on wood. 
I would say, I mean, from my perspective, you know, again, Suhani, I'd love you to close this out after me mm-hmm. because you have PCOS. But <laughs> um, I guess from my standpoint, just destigmatizing women's health in every way that we can. Vote for Proposal 3. Vote um, Prop 3. Vote Prop 3. Mm-hmm. Have conversations with your friends and family members about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that it's hard, but when it's an appropriate environment, when it's safe to do it, please do it if you can. And also just advocate on your own. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. us just, like, having this conversation hopefully goes so far and can touch at least one person. Mm-hmm. But, you know, going to marches, you know, being involved with your local government. You know, these are, like, little ways. Or even just, again, speaking up in class. Yeah. Fucking take a women in gender studies class <laughs> at the University of Michigan. Like, just doing these small things, educating yourself, doing a Google search can go so far mm-hmm. in just tearing down the stigma little by little. Yeah, I think it's just, like, share your story when you're comfortable. Of course. No one crossing their boundaries. And by the way, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story. Because it does take a lot of, it is a lot to share that. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Um, But yeah, share your story with your friends, even just, like, destigmatize. So things like talking about your period, talking about your tampons, whatever. Whatever you want to do. Yeah. Uh, Get involved in your community. I think one of the most motivating things when talking about politics and issues is just going out in the real world and seeing in person all of the great things people are doing. So all the work that like abortion funds do. So definitely donate to those if you can. Yes. Um, Planned Parenthood, but also more local um, Mm -hmm. organizations as well. Um, Just like seeing the light in the world that way. Like, I absolutely love my gynecologist. Um, (laughs) She's the one that diagnosed me, and she's such a kind woman. So, like, getting involved in your community, whether that's advocacy or just experiencing everything. Yes. All right. Awesome. So... Thank you so much for listening. Um, um, We hope you guys enjoyed this kind of mini form of episodes here. This is definitely supposed to be a more chill, laid back, Mm -hmm. just kind of like one-on-one on on one specific topic. Um, So we hope you enjoy. Um, If you have any feedback for us on this episode, you can check out our feedback form. We're going to put it in Mm -hmm. the episode notes. Um, We also have our six word first times there. Um, We're not doing it on this mini episode, but if you're interested in hearing that segment and also hearing us talk about things in more rambly form, kind of more like (laughs) 45 minutes to an hour and a half, definitely check out our other episodes. Hopefully we'll be posting more mini episodes Mm -hmm. soon. Um, Total disclaimer, we literally had technical episodes with our third long episode, and so we're doing this. But it's a perfect opportunity. I love love speaking with you today, Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so we do have that form. We also have a form for submitting to our blog, because What the F also has a blog. Um, So definitely go submit to that. That will also be in our episode notes. And I don't think we had any, like, citations, but we will definitely put... Oh, well, Suhani has... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Suhani does have citations because we did our work. Um, but we will definitely put that. And mm-hmm. we will also probably put some resources in our episode notes as well. Um, and, yeah, I think... Do we have anything else? Suhani? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that's it. Oh. So, with that being said, do you want to do our outro? Uh, my computer is actually dead right now. <laughs> oh no! Okay, I kind of remember the words. What, what is it? I'm gonna I'm gonna test you right now. Go, um, do it. Here, here at what the f were fresh, funny, fierce, feminine. <gasps> fuck. Damn it! You're so close. No! What did I miss? <laughs> um, fresh, funny, fearless, feminist. Fuck. Fearless, not fierce. Fearless, as in fearless Taylor's version, but it's fearless. What the f version? Okay, what the f version? Yes. So, (laughs) 
Uh-huh. Go for it. At what the F, the F stands for fresh, funny, fearless, feminist, and fuck. What do you stand for? Tune in next week to hear more from us. Go. Go. What a man.